Holy Father, by the time we're through this last teaching in this series, please, may we decide, all of us, what to do with Jesus. Speak to us now. Of all the teachings, this must be clear for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Did you know that the book of Daniel ends just like the Da Vinci Code? With a heart pounding, page turning, nail biting, surprise ending. Everybody loves a mystery. And Daniel, when he wrote his book, made certain that he penned into its final plot a dramatic mystery. Open your Bible, please, with me. To the question we've been ducking now for two months. We have been reading about the King of the North. We have skirted around it. Can't, can't run any longer. This is the last of the series, Rumors from the East. Open your Bible, please, to Daniel chapter 11. One of the great prophetic mysteries of ancient literature. Daniel chapter 11. Only this piece of literature is no fiction at all. As you are going to discover in just a moment, this is the gospel truth that hasn't quite fully come true yet. You just you watch. You wait, you'll see. Daniel chapter 11. Drop down to verse 40. I'm in the New King James Version. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, I need you. This teaching is very serious. And so I invite you to take the Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you. Same translation as the New King James. Page 606 in your pew Bible. Strap yourself in. We're going. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. And at the time of the end... The king of the south shall attack him, the king of the north. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So, who is the king of the north? Is it Russia, as some are teaching? Is it Iran? Is it Iraq? Is it China? Is it America? Just a cursory reading, as we have just done, enables us to identify certain vital clues. For example, what we just read, clue number one. Whatever it is, whatever is happening here, clue number one is clear. The king of the north and the king of the south are antagonists. They're enemies. All right? Clue number two. The king of the south mortally wounds the king of the north. Now, you don't get that in the English. You have to read it in Daniel's language, which is Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for attack, where it says attack, the Hebrew word here is naga, which means to gore like a bull with a thrusting horn. For the life of me, I tell you what, I cannot understand why any matador in the world would stand in front of a bull, maniacal bull, and egg him on to gore him. But the word is actually translated that way in, De in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 17. Look at this. Same Hebrew word. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. 
With them he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. All right. The point, the king of the north, whoever or whatever he is, is gored by the king of the south, whoever, whatever it is. Clue three. Clearly, time is being compressed in this prophetic mystery because no sooner, as we just read it here, no sooner is the king of the north mortally wounded than he turns around and attacks the king of the south and conquers the king of the south. Impossible. I mean, how long? How many here have been gored by a bull? Let's just see your hands. How long does it take for a wound in your side to heal? Can't happen instantaneously. And so these short six verses, obviously within them, time has been compressed. Ah. What else do we know? Well, we know from, uh, this would be clue four, we know that the king of the north is a militant power. He commands armies and navies. Whether he owns those armies and navies is immaterial to this presentation. He is simply able to mobilize armed forces. Clue number five. The king of the north, after conquering the king of the south, becomes a global rather than a local or national power. Read on here, verse uh, 41. He, the king of the north, shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Verse 42. He, the king of the north, shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Verse 43. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Clue number six, the king of the north not only becomes a global power, it is a wealthy power as well. And it's right here that this this, uh, prophetic plot takes a mysterious twist. Watch this. Verse 44, but news from the east, the New New American Standard Version renders this, you remember, rumors from the east and the north shall trouble him. Now, the Hebrew word for trouble is Baal, and it means to terrify or to panic. I.e., the king of the north hears foreboding rumors coming from the east, and he panics in a dither of fury. Now, for the last two months in this teaching series, you and I have been examining the content of these rumors from the east. Whatever. Obviously, the king of the north fears for his own kingdom and survival, and in fury, he rushes out once he gets those rumors. All right. Verse 44, but news, rumors from the east and the north shall trouble him, and therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Clue number seven, the king of the north becomes a destroying, persecuting power in the end. Whatever it is, that's how he ends up. Final verse, verse 45, and he, king of the north, shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Final clue, the king of the north mysteriously comes to a dreadful end and nobody, and who would blame them, dark and evil king that he is, nobody steps forward, and I mean nobody to intervene. They just let him go, boom. And we know it's the end, by the way, because the very next verses speak of the resurrection and the return of Christ. The end. The world's over. All right? So who is this king of the north? Just a few more lines, and you won't have to read between the lines anymore. In fact, this point is so critical, I I would like to humbly invite you to jot it down. So would you take out your study guide, please? You have a study guide in your worship bulletin. A bunch of you came in with one bulletin. You're going to need some extra study guides. And so if our ushers right now would pass your way, hold your hand up. If you'd like an extra study guide... 
One to give to a friend of yours. Just, we have enough. Hold your hand up. In the balcony as well. And while they're doing that, those of you watching on television, let me give our website, put it on the screen for you. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to our website and you will come to this teaching series. It's entitled Rumors from the East. We have come to the final part. This is part nine, final part in this teaching series. The title is King of the North. Drop down till you see King of the North. It will say study guide right there. Click study guide and you will have the identical piece of paper that uh, we're going to examine right now. Key point, right here, right at the start. Your pen is going to be moving today. Nobody's going to have a rusty wrist by the time we're through. Jot it down, please. A careful reading, there it is, a careful reading of Daniel 11 reveals that the king of the north is a metaphor to describe a succession of earth powers that have subjugated the people of God throughout the rest of sacred history. Jot them down. Here are the earth powers that are mentioned in Daniel 11. Power number one, Persia. Write it down, please. Persia. Power number two, Greece. Greece. That would include the Seleucids, who are a key part of that uh, moment of history. And power number three, Rome. Jot it down. That third blank is Rome. Say, hey, wait a minute. Pastor, come on, Dwight. Where's Babylon? Babylon, the... Come on. Oh, you know where Babylon is? Babylon doesn't even exist. By the time Daniel writes the Bible's longest prophecy, Daniel 10, 11, and 12, Babylon is over. It has fallen. And that's why you find at the very beginning of chapter 11, it says Darius the Mede is sitting on the throne. He's, Daniel is now writing at the age of 88 during the time of Persia. So there's no Babylon. All right, keep your pen moving. From Daniel's perspective, fascinating now, from Daniel's perspective as a faithful Israelite, all these powers are north, write it in, are north of the homeland of his people. That's true. Keep writing. So when the prophets describe impending crisis, it was from the north that calamity would come. It comes from the north. Take a look at this. Let's put uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 14. You have that verse in your study guide, just the reference. Let's read it now. Then the Lord said to me, speaking to Jeremiah, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. So, ladies and gentlemen, what do we know so far? We know that the king of the north is a prophetic symbol of a power that would persecute the people of God. I.e., the king of the north is not good news for the people of God. He is bad, bad news. He's not good. He's bad news. How bad is the bad news? Get ready. Commentators suggest that the Roman Empire, you just jotted that down, fades off the scene in verse 30. So there goes the Roman Empire, fading off the scene. Verse 31 now marks the, the appearance of the final manifestation of the king of the north. 31 and forward. Get ready. Now is when your pen is going to move. But uh, I need you to see this. Put these lines down. I think you will see it. Verse 31. Jot this down first before we read the verse. Verse 31. He def- this is a, these are the defining characteristics of the king of the north. Okay? Here we go. Hey, folks, what are we doing? We are letting Daniel interpret itself. Okay? We are letting the Bible interpret itself. I could tell you, hey, that's Russia. There's some people out there. That's Russia. I had prove it. I could tell you it's Iran, Iraq, China, America. Forget it. Let's let the Bible interpret itself. Jot down these... Uh, Characteristics of this kingly power. Verse 31. 
He defiles the sanctuary and takes away the daily, write that word in, the daily sacrifices and replaces them with the abomination of desolation. Whoa! Let's read verse 31. Is that really there? Yep, there, here it goes. Verse 31. And forces shall be mustered by him, king of the north, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Daily sacrifices. What's that? Ah, that's a Bible symbol. Whenever you run into that, it is a symbol of Christ, our heavenly high priest, his 24-7 intercessory ministry in the sanctuary above. That's what daily. It's the ongoing, continuous intercession. And the abomination of desolation, that's when false worship is inserted into the place of true worship to replace it. It's called abomination of desolation. All right? So we know that about the king of the north. Here comes whoever he is, whoever it is, it substitutes Christ's intercessory ministry and true worship with that which is false. Keep your pen moving. Okay, here's, here's number two. Uh, verses 32 to 35, write this down. He persecutes, he persecutes the people of God. Is that really there? Okay, read it. Verse 32. Those, read verse 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he, the king of the north, shall corrupt with flattery. But, oh, I love this. I just love this line. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. Throughout the history of time, there have been people who have stood up to whatever manifestation of the King of the North has been there in their era. And those who have stood up have done, hallelujah, great exploits. Ah, look at verse 33. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days, look out, they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Okay, third characteristic that we're getting by uh, picking up these verses just before verse 40. Jot it down, please. Verse 36. He exalts and magnifies himself above every God. Right? In, that's little g God, by the way. Write that in. And speaks blasphemies. You'll have to look at the screen to spell that one. What's blasphemy? That which hurls in the face of God. The hard longing to replace itself with God himself. Blasphemy, taking the prerogatives of God to yourself. He exalts and magnifies himself above every God and speaks blasphemies against the God of gods. Is that here? Well, look at verse 36. Then the king, that's the king of the north, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. Jot it down. Verse 37. He will not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women or any God. Fascinating. Watch this. Read verse 37. Is that there? He shall regard... Yep, it's almost verbatim. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Whoever this power, whatever this power is, he rejects all of the faith of his father. I don't want that. And he also does not regard the desire of women. Do you suppose? This could be what the Apostle Paul warned about. Jot this verse down. I didn't put it in the study guide. Jot it down if you're serious. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. 
where Paul says, In the latter times, some would arise forbidding marriage. Keep your pen moving. Here is uh, description number five, verses 38 and 39. He shall honor a God which his fathers did not know. Write that in. Did not know. A foreign God whose glory he will advance. Watch this. Fascinating. Verse 38. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. And notice verse 39. Thus he shall act against the strong fortresses with a foreign God which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. The king of the north introduces a foreign god and says, you worship this now. I, don't, I no longer embrace what my fathers did. I have another god. And he advances the glory of that foreign god. And finally, would you jot this down? He will, we just read it. He will rule over many and profit from his sales. The king of the north will actually sell to people what they long for. He says, for a price, you can have it. You can have it. What I control, you can have for money. For a price, I'll let you have it. So who is this king of the north? Huh? Who is it? Let's add the clues that we noted in, in, in our beginning. We won't look the verses up now because we've already read them together. But would you jot these down? Keep going. We already know from what we read in verse 40, he is mortally wounded but eventually recovers. Right in the word recovers. Key point. Gored, but he'll recover. Also in verse 40, he conquers the king of the south or Egypt, identified by some commentators as a symbol of atheism or godlessness. Egypt appears in apocalyptic prophecy as the proud, revolting symbol of atheism. God don't need you. Where'd you get that? Ah, look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh's exclamation to Moses, Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, and Pharaoh said, Ha! Who is the Lord Yahweh that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. I don't give a rip for your God. King of the South. The king of the North, with his own brand of religion, shuts down the godless opposition of the king of the South. Verses 41 and 43. We already read it. Jot it down. He is a global power global now. Verse 44, keep writing, he is threatened by the spiritual rumors from the east. Our whole teaching series, from the east. Remember, east is the spiritual direction from which the greatest truths about Christ come. They come from the east. This power will not have the faith as it is in Jesus. This power will not allow Jesus Christ to assume his rightful lordship. He's held at bay. He's troubled by what comes from the east. Verse 45, keep your pen moving. Just a couple more. He panics and sets out to possess the glorious holy mountain. What in the world is that? Ah, a prophetic symbol for Mount Zion. Fill this in. The loyal remnant of God. Take a look at Joel 2.32, Revelation 14.1, Psalm 48.2. Let's just put Joel 2, verse 32 on the screen. Zion is a symbol of the remnant. Watch this. And it shall come to pass... That whoever calls on the name of the Lord, this is at the end of time, shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Mount Zion is a symbol of the remnant. God has always had a remnant throughout the history of time. At the end of time, the remnant are shown to cluster, to hide in the citadel of Mount Zion. The angry and furious king of the north goes against that, that glorious holy mountain. He will take them. He will take them in the end. He has to. Or his rule is jeopardized. But hallelujah. The scripture is clear that at that very moment, and we just read it a moment ago, right after verse 45, the last verse of Daniel 11, Michael stands up. And when Michael stands up with the thunder of the approaching king of the east, Michael returns to this planet, boom, it's over. Everything ends at that moment. There you have it. The few extra lines of Daniel 11. So who is this power? Who is the king of the north? Keep your pen moving. Clearly he is not. This is a key point because some people come and say, well, there'll be an evil king or there'll be an evil president or a prime minister, an awful prime minister one day. (laughs) Watch this. Clearly he is not a single individual. Write that down. How can he be an individual? Daniel 11's prophetic history spans too long a time period for any human being to occupy. He cannot be a single human being. Therefore, what does he have to be? Just keep your pen moving. If he's not a person, then he must be a power, some kind of nation, some sort of government, some sort of institution, whatever he is. We still haven't identified him yet. You just have a whole lot of descriptors now. So what do we know about this kingly power? Keep your pen moving. It is a religious, not a secular power, right in the word religious, since it receives worship, exalts itself above God, and speaks blasphemies against God. Can't be Russia, can't be Iran, can't be Iraq, China, or America. Can't be any. It's a religious power. It's worshipped. Number two, jot it down. It is a militant, if not military, power, for it commands armies and attacks fortresses. Ah, we're going to get it now. Write it down, please. It is a ruling Global. You have to put both in. It is a ruling global power, for it possesses a palace, conquers nations, and seeks to control a people. Summary statement. Thus, keep your pen going. Thus, the king of the north symbolizes three words in a row now. A geo, that means global. Religio, that's Latin for religious. Geo, religio, political. Right in the word political. It is a geo, religio, political power. That succeeds the empire of Rome, write that in please, and has effectively dominated religious and political history since, except for the time of its mortal wounding, after which it would be healed and exert, write it down, an even greater global dominance, even greater in the end. So, who is this king of the north? You have enough information on your study guide right now to identify. You don't need, you don't need anybody coming along and saying, I think it ought to be this. You have enough right now. Now, I need to tell you that one of the great, the great uh, political philosophers in English history, Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes, back in the 17th century. Thomas Hobbes, back in the 17th century, wrote that classic Leviathan. I thought somebody was crying because he's already guessed the answer. And I wasn't sure if that was, you know, man, don't get too upset. Thomas Hobbes, 17th century, wrote the book of Leviathan. Thomas Hobbes raised his hand and said, I know, 
By the way, that book, Leviathan, became the precursor for all political philosophy. The study of the politics, philosophy of politics. He said, I know, I know, I know who that is. And these are, you have it in, the study, in your study guide. These are the words of Thomas Hobbes. Watch this. Back in the 1600s. And if a man, he writes, and if a man consider the original of this great ecclesiastical dominion, the origin, he will easily perceive that the blank, the blank, is no other than the ghost of the deceased Roman Empire sitting crowned upon the grave thereof. End quote. Who is this ghost of the deceased Roman Empire that sits on the grave of that empire? Who is this ghost? You say, hey, come on, Pastor, you forgot, to, you, forgot, you forgot to fill it in. Put the blank. Put the word in. No, 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 no. You're not going to get me to do that. We're not going to put the word in. You have enough evidence in that study guide now to put the single word that I purposely left out of Hobbes' quotation. You know, this is not rocket science, ladies and gentlemen. You know, if you're still not sure afterwards, come up and ask me, I'll tell you. All right? I was reading an essay this week by Ron Fraser in the November-December issue of Philadelphia Trumpet. And he suggested a hypothesis that was new to me, but the more I brooded over it, the more plausible it seems. Let me, let, me, let me just share it with you. Namely, here you go, that the recent brouhaha over a carefully placed public comment by a well-known Christian leader regarding Islam was all about the public reaction it elicited rather than being an ill-advised quotation. For would it not be advantageous for Europe to be united against a common threat that Islam poses to Europe's historic religious and cultural base? Draw them all together. Hence the very public, hardly veiled condemnation of Islam's supposed proclivity to violence. You must unite your base if you would strengthen your hand. Daniel is clear that at the, end of the, at, the, at the end of time, the king of the north strengthens his base. But I know what you're saying. You say, hey, so what, pastor? So what do I? I mean, so, so, the, so the king of the north is who you are suggesting that the king of the north is. Big deal. You know what, my friend? You are right. It is a big deal. Because Daniel 11 teaches... That the king of the north hits his stride just before the end of time. You ready? You ready? Are you? The king of the north has already taken down the king of the south. Political atheism in the west is gone forever. And now he builds his historic base out of an ancient empire. Daniel is clear. The base gets established just before the end. But you know what? Daniel is just as clear that there will be three rumors. Three rumors that will send this power into a panic. And in this teaching series, we have examined those three rumors for the past two months. Three rumors, by the way, that bring down the final curtain. When these rumors become reality, the final curtain comes down, not only on the king of the north, but on this life of heartache and pain. Those prayer requests we heard a moment ago. That forever over. 
What are the three rumors? Oh, you remember these. Before I sit down, let me just refresh your memory. Write them down. Rumor number one, please. Rumor number one, the global revival of God's glory. Oh, we had several teachings on that, didn't we? The global revival of God's glory shining in the face of Jesus and shining out from the followers of Christ. Revelation 18, Ezekiel 43. I love this quotation. You you have to fill it in. You have it there. It's from that classic, Christ Object Lessons. Jot it down, would you? The last rays. The last rays of merciful light. The last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. The children of God are to manifest His glory. Now, here's where you jot it down. In their, in their own life and character, they are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. The light of the Son of Righteousness is to shine forth in good works and words of truth and deeds of holiness, end quote. Point being, ladies and gentlemen, the King of the North hears rumors of a last sunrise in the East. There is a spiritual revival taking possession of this planet and in desperation because you remember the truth as it is in Jesus is going to threaten its dominion in desperation and in fury it sets out to snuff out that revival. Three rumors. That was number one. Here comes number two. Rumor number two, the global revival of God's seventh-day Sabbath. The seal of the living God placed upon a final generation's choice to remain loyal to their creator. You see, the king of the north has already declared that it is a sign of his authority and prerogative that he, in fact, has already changed the day of worship. And so when this angel arises out of the sunrise and raises the seal of the seventh-day Sabbath to global prominence, it will infuriate that king of the north and he will set out to crush that truth. Great controversy, the apocalyptic classic. You have to fill this in too. The Sabbath will be the great test of loyalty. Loyalty. For it is the point of truth, especially controverted. And when the final test shall be brought to bear upon men and women, then the line of distinction will be drawn between those who serve God and those who serve Him not. While one class, by accepting the sign of submission to earthly powers, receive the mark of the beast, the other, choosing the token of allegiance to divine authority, receive the seal of God. End quote. Three rumors that will drive that dark king furious. Rumor number three, jot it down. The global withdrawal of support... The global withdrawal of support for the king of the north suddenly preparing the way for the coming of the king of the east. Jot that in. This is the one rumor that doesn't involve us at all. Revelation 17, which is a twin chapter, by the way, to Daniel 11. Talks about the same powers. In Daniel 11, the power is called king of the north. In Revelation 17, the power is the woman sitting on a beast. Okay, but they're the same power. You put the two side by side. Identical descriptives. Revelation 17 describes and declares that this power, king of the north, sits upon the waters. And it defines what the waters are. The waters are a symbol of peoples and nations. But that in the end, 17 goes on, the popular support will suddenly drive up. Euphrates, remember that teaching? Euphrates dries up. No support now. It's gone. And the king of the north, according to Revelation 17, the king of the north will be destroyed by the very global coalition it tried so hard to build. They will turn on it and wipe it out. People will come to their religious leaders and they will say, you're the one that told me 
This was true. Great controversy. Same book. Quotation. We are lost, they cry. The masses of earth turn on the very religious leaders that led them in their apostasy. We are lost, they cry. And you are the cause of our ruin. And they turn upon the false shepherds. The very ones that once admired these shepherds most will pronounce the most dreadful curses on them. The very hands that once crowned these shepherds with laurels will be raised for their destruction. And Daniel 11 ends with a solitary line. He will come to his end and nobody, nobody will be there to, to help him. You know why? Because nobody, nobody now is fooled. It's over. And it's too late. I'm a shepherd. I would not want to be a shepherd that leads my people other than the pathway of truth. And if you ever, if you ever believe that I'm leading you not to truth but to error, you owe it to me to come to me. Dwight? You have to lead us to truth. All right? Nobody comes to him. Nobody. He is destroyed by his own coalition. And the very next words, Michael stands up. And thundering, the king of the east returns. And hallelujah, it really will be over then. So there they are, ladies and gentlemen. Three rumors. Two kings, one choice. One choice. I want to bear my heart to you now in closing. You know why we went into this teaching series? Not just because so many of you, when we did the survey last spring, said, oh, please, get us into prophecy. Take us into red meat Bible teaching. Many of you said that. But you know why we went into this series? To go deeper into the prophetic word? Because I am concerned. I really am concerned that some of you, that some of us, when we hear about prophecy, there's just this little gentle, patronizing giggle, a smile. Oh, please. Not that. Not us. Not me. Not me. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know when. I have no tea leaves but the book you have. I just know that one day, one day, the King of the North, the ultimate dark and evil King of the North, one day, will Himself stand before the human race and announce that He is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's always been only one King of the North. Oh, he's had his surrogates. All through history, he's had fronts. Fronts that will get his agenda delivered no matter what. But when it comes down to the end, he needs no surrogate now. He will appear himself and Satan, the demonic majesty himself, one day will stand in front of the human race and every television camera of every cable outlet will be aimed at his shining visage as he stands before the human race and every eye will see him. Every eye will see it. Every internet site will carry it. And he will stand before the human race. And he'll say, I am Jesus. I have come. And he'll quote from the Gospels. And he'll reach out and he will heal the sick. 
And once the whole world is deceived into believing who He is not, He'll say, and by the way, this earth is in a huge cauldron of crisis and trouble. You know why? You're not following me. I know my law, but today I announce I am adapting that law. I have a day. If you trust me as Savior of the world, you will worship me on that day. I changed it. And it is blasphemy for you not to follow me. Great Controversy describes that moment as the strong, almost overmastering delusion. Okay, friend of Jesus. So how will it be then, huh? Who makes it through that? Jot this down. Final quotation. After this strong, almost overmastering delusion, only, write it in please, only those who have been diligent students of the Scriptures and who have received the love of truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that makes the world, takes the world captive. Are the people of God now so firmly established upon His Word that they would not yield to the evidence of their senses? Would they in such a crisis cling to the Bible and the Bible only? For two months, end quote, for two months, we have been in this major teaching series for one reason. That you and I might be rooted deeply in the prophetic word. And that as a default now, here, here is where we go. Remember that verse I read just a moment ago? Uh, verse 32 here in Daniel 11. I love that last half. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. They're not going to get taken down. The people who know. And by the way, the Hebrew word for know is yada. When the Bible says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, it's describing sexual intimacy within the protective borders of, of marriage. So that Daniel comes along and says, there will be a people at the end of time who yada, who know, who intimately know their God. And because of that spiritual intimacy, they will not be brought down by the King of the North. Ladies and gentlemen, I want that intimacy with Jesus, don't you? I want, I want that passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what's your passion right now, but this much I know. Given this breather, it would be the right time to make a passion for Him. The ruling thirst and hunger in our lives.